You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Pancreatic cancer, perhaps the most devastating diagnosis a patient can receive. But are we finally making some strides in this frustrating area? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ralph Rubin, Professor of Pathology and Oncology at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Director of the Saul Goldman Pancreatic Research Center, and one of the world's foremost authorities on pancreatic cancer. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Rubin. My pleasure. Uh, As we try to approach this devastating illness, what are some of the risk factors and the genetic things we can look at to predict risk? So in genetics, it's estimated that approximately 10 to 20% of pancreatic cancer has a familial basis, and already a number of the genes responsible for the familial aggregation of pancreatic cancer have been identified. These include BRCA2 gene, the familial breast and ovarian cancer gene, which is associated with a 3 to 10-fold increased risk of pancreatic cancer, the P16 gene, which is associated with the familial atypical multiple mole melanoma syndrome and a 20 to 30-fold increased risk of pancreatic cancer, familial pancreatitis, which is caused by a mutation in a gene called PRSS1, which is associated with a 50 to 80%-fold increased risk of pancreatic cancer, and Putz-Jaegers with the melanocytic macules on the lips and buccal mucosa, hamartomatous polyps, and probably a 100-fold increased risk of pancreatic cancer. So we've identified a number of the genes that are responsible for the familial aggregation of pancreatic cancer, but we still have to do more. We To simply tell a patient that they're going to get boinged and then offer them nothing to prevent it doesn't do them much good. Yes, that would be devastating to know you have a freight train coming at you and there's nothing you can do. Those were relative risks you were mentioning, and as a practicing physician, I I know that translates into some very real absolute risks. Yes. So for individuals who inherit a germline mutation in BRCA2, they have about a 5% risk of developing pancreatic cancer by the age of 70. Individuals who have familial atypical multiple mole melanoma syndrome have a 10 to 16% lifetime risk of pancreatic cancer. Individuals with familial pancreatitis, a 25 to 40% lifetime risk. And then individuals with Putz-Jaeger syndrome, probably a 36% lifetime risk of pancreatic cancer. And then aside from these clinical syndromes that you've mentioned, just having a, a relative with pancreatic cancer increases risk significantly. One key thing about these other the syndromes that are associated with pancreatic cancer is that you can often identify individuals at risk with a good physical exam and good history. For example, as far as history, individuals who are of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage are more likely to carry a BRCA2 mutation than the general population. 1% of the Ashkenazi Jewish population carries a germline BRCA2 mutation. It's called a 6174-DEL-T mutation, and they have a tenfold increased risk of developing pancreatic cancer. And so 1 in 10 pancreatic cancers in the Ashkenazi Jewish population has been associated with a germline BRCA2 mutation. So a good personal social history and a good cancer history, asking does the patient have a family or personal history of breast cancer or melanoma of pancreatitis or Putz-Jaeger syndrome, can help identify who's at risk and who may benefit from genetic testing. Very interesting. Again, stressing the importance of our, our clinical evaluation. I know you've developed a model for estimating risk 
at Johns Hopkins. Can you tell us about that? Dr. Wang and Allison Klein here at Johns Hopkins wanted to develop a risk prediction model that would be useful for the practicing clinician. So just as there's a Gale model to predict breast cancer risk or BRCA Pro model to predict breast cancer risk, so too did they want to develop a risk prediction model for pancreatic cancer. This is much more challenging because obviously in most instances we don't know the gene or genes that's responsible for the familial aggregation of pancreatic cancer. Nonetheless, based on data that were collected in the National Familial Pancreas Tumor Registry here at Johns Hopkins, Dr. Klein and Dr. Wang were able to develop a mathematical model called PANCPRO that relatively accurately predicts the risk of developing pancreatic cancer. This is a Mendelian model for pancreatic cancer risk and it predicts risk based on an individual's family history. They were able to validate it using an independent prospective data from National Familial Pancreas Tumor Registry, and the PANCPRO does pretty well. The area under the receiver operating curve was 0.75, which is better than it is for the Gale model. They made this publicly available and freely available, and it's available on the web. If you do a Google search for the word cancer gene, one word, you can identify a website that's developed by a clinician at the University of Texas Southwestern, and this model is made available through that. That's very nice. And that may bear repeating, especially in terms of, uh, number one, the National Familial Pancreatic Tumor Registry. We want patients or physicians who know of cases of pancreatic cancer to register for this. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Patients, family members, uh, or physicians can all refer patients to the National Familial Pancreas Tumor Registry. The phone number is 410-955-3502, and the email address is pancreas at jhmi.edu. The easiest way to find PANCPRO, the model, risk prediction model, is to simply Google the word cancer gene, all one word, and you'll come up with a website from the University of Texas Southwestern. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ralph Rubin, professor of pathology and oncology at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and one of the world's foremost experts on pancreatic cancer. And we've been talking about the genetics of pancreatic cancer with one of these models or family history. Without the model, we can identify people who are at risk and now what do we do, as you said? What can we do with that information? As Theresius said to Oedipus, and Oedipus the king, it is but sorrow to be wise when wisdom profits not. To simply have this information and not be able to do anything with it uh, would not help the patient. We've focused a great deal of our research efforts into how can we screen for early precancerous lesions in the pancreas. And probably the best example of that is breast cancer, where almost half of the reduction in breast cancer mortality over the past 25 years has come from mammography. So, too, do we need to improve the survival from pancreas cancer if we can develop a, a safe and effective early detection test. I think the first step in doing so is to define the precursor lesions that give rise to invasive pancreatic cancer. What are the curable precancerous lesions in the pancreas? Do we know that answer? Sure. So, you know, just as colon cancer arises from colon polyps, from adenomas in the colon, so too is it now clear that pancreatic cancer often arises from histologically well-defined precursor lesions. And there are three types, three variants that are recognized. The first is the introductal papillary mucinous neoplasm, 
also known as an IPMN. These are large villous proliferations in the main pancreatic duct or one of its branches. They're grossly apparent and they can grow to three, four, five centimeters before they invade. The second is the mucinous cystic neoplasm. These neoplasms typically occur in the tail of the pancreas in women, and they also are about a third of them associated with an invasive cancer. And finally, the last form or precursor lesion that we recognized is called a panin for pancreatic intraepithelial neoplasia. And these are small microscopic lesions. So that we have a pretty good sense of what some of the precursor lesions are to invasive pancreatic cancer. And now the challenge is to detect these lesions before a patient becomes symptomatic. And has there been any anything identified similar to a PSA for prostate cancer or particular proteins or things we can detect in the blood or otherwise? That's a great question, and unfortunately not. There are no simple non-invasive tests available today for early pancreatic cancer. There's a great deal of interest in imaging as a early detection test. And now that we've been able to identify who's at risk, those patients may benefit most from it. And one approach that we're trying here, and my colleague Marcia Canto completed a large study using endoscopic ultrasound, the high-frequency ultrasound and endoscopy. It's probably one of the best imaging modalities for the pancreas. And Dr. Canto has recently completed a study in which she screened close to 110 patients with a strong family history of pancreatic cancer or Peutz-Jäger syndrome for early asymptomatic pancreatic neoplasms. And remarkably, in about 10 of these, so about 10% of these patients, she identified an IPMN, an interductal papillary mucinous neoplasm, or a, a significant precancerous lesion in the pancreas. That is very impressive. And it, I imagine since this modality is being used uh, more non-invasive, either uh, transabdominal, ultrasound, MRI, CT is not sufficiently uh, sensitive? Dr. Canto certainly would argue that the EUS, the endoscopic ultrasound, is probably the best way to image the pancreas. Certainly other imaging modalities such as uh, computerized tomography, resolution is improving significantly uh, on those other imaging modalities, allowing one to see finer and finer resolution in the pancreas and identify these precancerous lesions. But I think the, the study by Dr. Canto does something very important. It's kind of a proof of principle that one can, based on a family history, identify who's at risk for pancreatic cancer, screen them using an available technology, in this case, endoscopic ultrasound, and identify and treat these precancerous lesions and cure the patient before they develop an invasive pancreatic cancer. Which, at least to me, is unheard of with in the field of pancreatic cancer prior to this. Yeah, absolutely. I think there certainly are anecdotal reports of patients who are asymptomatic and happen to be Im imaged for another reason. They're in an automobile accident or something like that, and they'll identify a, a lesion in the pancreas. But to intentionally go after these precursor lesions in, in an asymptomatic population, I think this is the first. Her study also gave us a, an opportunity to study the precancerous lesions in greater detail because many of these patients went to surgery and had a portion of their pancreas removed. And we were able to identify, interestingly, that these patients often had multiple small precancerous lesions or precursor lesions in their pancreas, suggesting a field defect in the pancreas. Interesting. That's what I was going to ask. When something like this is identified, do we know? Is it focal, such as a colon polyp, or where you could just do a partial pancreatectomy, or do you 
have to remove the entire pancreas? How do we proceed? There aren't a lot of data out there on, on how to proceed. From the our histologic studies of the resected portions of the, the pancreas, it's clear that in some of these individuals, 20 to 30 percent of the pancreatic ducts had a small precancerous lesion in it. So clearly, uh, multifocality is a serious problem. Taking out the whole pancreas is fraught with difficulties because obviously in addition to making the exocrine enzymes, the pancreas makes insulin and other factors that control blood glucose. So if you do a total pancreatectomy, the patients become brittle diabetics. It can obviously have a significant negative impact on their life. So now, at least here at Hopkins, what we tend to do is a partial pancreatectomy, either a distal pancreatectomy or a Whipple procedure carefully examine the specimen that's removed with the predominant lesion, and then follow the remaining pancreas as best we can using currently available imaging modalities. Well, I want to thank Dr. Ralph Rubin, who has been our guest, as we've been discussing the genetics of pancreatic cancer and the exciting steps forward in what was once thought to be really an incurable situation. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.